Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. In this week's episode, we're talking the duel at Harbortown. Matt Fitzpatrick going head-to-head with Jordan Spieth. John Rahm honors his commitment while Roy McIlroy backs out of a second mandatory event on the PGA Tour. We'll also talk slow play, because that is all the buzz right now. Rex, isn't that great? We're talking about slow play once again. We're not talking about the Saudis. We're not talking about live. We're not talking about existential threats. We're not talking about world ranking points. We're back talking about slow play. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that cute? Isn't that funny? Like, remember back in the day when that was the edgiest thing we could possibly talk about? And let me say this about slow play. And one more thing. I love how everyone, and, and really this is, I, and I don't want to get in, like defending Patrick Cantlay is not, like I don't want that lane at all. However, I was kind of amazed that he sort of became the lightning rod in all this because anyone who watches tour golf will tell you that they're all slow. And like, all right, maybe Pat's a little bit slower than the next guy, but there's no reason, there's no motivation for him to be fast. And I wrote about this on Friday because we, we've argued about it. We'll talk about it again. It's sort of just cute that this is where we're, we've landed and it feels good. And, oh, we're actually talking about golf. The part that gets me is I'm a baseball guy. You're a baseball guy. And they have trimmed 25 minutes. Used to be. 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, They have trimmed 25 minutes, almost a half an hour, off of these games because of what they've done, the rules that they've implemented this year. I I don't know if you watched any baseball this year, but it's awesome because it doesn't take you all night long to sit there. I I would actually vote for if they started them a little bit early, like everyone would want to watch baseball because it's so much more refreshing. And I was taken by the idea when I was writing about this on Friday that, if the tour was really serious about this, like baseball got really serious about this, they could do something about it instead of we're all just going to throw our hands in the air, point at Patrick Cantley because he's the bad guy here. He's the slow one. He's the one causing all the problems and then just move on because you can't do anything about it. So you want to see a shot clock in golf. That's what you want to see. I, I'm not against it. I mean, I, I, again, I don't know about you. I, I tried it. They tried it on the European tour. Uh, yeah, they did. And I didn't think it was a bad idea. I, I didn't think it was gimmicky or, or anything i, I kind of liked it look if you really want to do something about slow play then do something about slow play quit just putting throwing your hand in the sand saying that oh we've got 156 players on a golf course we're never going to get them around fast enough that's fine that's always been the excuse however moving forward at almost all of your big events now you've got a limited field you're going to have between 70 and 80 players because of their designated events now find a way to play fast i mean i don't think they have trouble when it's 70 man fields and it's twosomes. And I know oh, I disagree. They're flying, around, they're flying around there. Oh, I disagree. Because this goes back to Augusta on Sunday. I mean, this is when it all started. This is when everyone was watching Patrick Cantlay walk slowly so, and do whatever. That's actually, so it's actually funny. So I was out on the golf course. I was out on the entire second nine at Augusta National. And so obviously I don't have my phone. I'm not looking at social media. I had, I had no idea about the furor over Patrick Cantlay's pace of play. Now, when I was out there, I was like, oh, this does seem this does seem like slow. Like it doesn't seem like we're, we're moving at all. I never would have thought like, Oh, it's all, it's all because of Patrick Cantley and the group ahead, basically pace setting. Majors are tough for me because like, there's so much on the line and I know it's unfair to your fellow playing competitors. If you're taking too long to, to, to kind of decide on a shot or to play your shot. Like I totally get that. But like, if you're standing on the 12th tee at Augusta, like, I'm okay with them taking a minute and a half to try and dial in their yardage or, or, you know, try and get the right club or kind of gauge the wind. Like, I don't want them sitting there for, you know, three minutes, but having a sort of quote unquote shot clock, uh, 
also kind of takes away some of the drama, doesn't it? Like some of the indecision, some of the uh, precise decision-making you have to make on a penal golf course like that, I think is, is also sort of the appeal, is it not? I think so. And again, I'm not going to be the one that sits here and argues that, oh, something has to be done. However, I've heard that argument as well. And I, I don't know that I disagree with you, but you're, you're not going to have two separate sets of rules. So you're going to find a way. If, if, again, if we want to be serious about picking up the pace of play and everyone wants to complain about it, no one wants to be serious about it, it would have to be some sort of blanket policy. I mean, it would apply to the majors and to PGA Tour events. But it's not going to happen because the tour, again, has no motivation to change things around just because of the way TV can sort of cut up these rounds now. And you don't see Patrick Cantlay more times than not. That's why I don't understand. Why, why are TV viewers so upset about this? Because it, now if, if Patrick Cantlay is over the ball and he's shuffling his feet and he's looking at the target six, seven, eight times, like, yeah, he's I get that. That's not, a, that's, 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 that's not a good watch. However, if Patrick Cantlay still indecisive, they can go cut ahead to – John Rahm making a charge. They can go look at Scotty Scheffler and then come back when Patrick Cantlay uh, is, is actually hitting the ball. Like, I don't understand why TV viewers are getting upset. I can understand from an in-person experience, uh, it's a tough watch. But, but why, the, why the big deal on TV? Again, I think it's the Masters. I think probably with the way every shot can be seen now. Like, I don't think there's a place for the slower players to hide anymore. Whereas before, I think the networks, golf channel, we could work around the slower players and fill in the gaps. And you, you wouldn't see Patrick Cantlay or Kevin Na pick whatever name you want to, to be the, you know, the poster child for this. You, you don't have that anymore. If you really want to watch and see how slow Patrick Cantlay is, you can watch him hit every painstakingly slow shot if that's what you want to see. Again, I don't think there's any motivation because what you end up, what we could possibly end up with, and, and look, maybe baseball ends up in this exact same scenario where – you get a called out in the ninth inning of game seven of the world series. Like no one wants that because of the new rules. Like then all of a sudden you would have a bunch of people that are up in the air. No one wants to see Patrick Cantley get a slow play penalty coming down the stretch on the, on the second nine in Augusta, because that's, I mean, everyone's going to scream about it. Like, Oh no, we can't do that. Like you have to give them extra time as you just argued on Sunday at a major championship. Well, if you're going to do that, then you're never going to create a policy that works. I understand that. And we also have, no way to know how Patrick Cantlay ranks among his peers in terms of slow. We play. do. Is he actually? We it, do. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not made public. Like we have. Yeah. We have data for how these players stack up from hitting approach shots from the left rough from 225 to 250 yards, but we don't actually know who the slowest players on the PGA Tour are. Like, is Patrick Cantlay slow? Is he middle of the pack? Is he actually among the fastest? There is information. There's shot link data that is available to the tour to the players if they ask. However, that is not made public. And so I would, once again, as with most things uh, PJ Tour related, uh, lobby for more openness, more transparency. Public shaming, uh, I have always said, is a great deterrent. And so publishing that list, making known who the dawdlers are, uh, I actually think could be a bit of a benefit. The thing that really annoys me, which I think was, was in stark contrast, and again, I was watching from television as you were and not in-person experience. What Patrick Kentley doesn't do well is he's not prepared to hit the shot immediately. That's one thing that Matt Fitzpatrick does exceedingly well. I think he's a very fast player, as it is. He does everything quickly in his life. But Patrick, but Matt Fitzpatrick is ready to go as soon as Cantlay 
or Spieth hit a shot. Like he's already crunched the numbers. He's already picked a club. He's already going through his visualization process. And so whenever they make contact and the ball lands in the green and everyone cheers, like Matt Fitzpatrick is just about to pull the trigger. DJ does that. Brooks does that. All of the great players do that. That is kind of the area where I think the slow players, Patrick Cantley in particular, it, it's, it shouldn't be to the point where, okay, he just hit. Now it's time for me to start my process. That process should already be starting whenever your fellow playing competitors are playing. Like that's just kind of like a courtesy and an easy way to, to speed this whole thing up. Oh, if you and I are playing golf, that's the way we're going to do it. My guess is 99% of the public who's going to listen to this podcast, that's the way they do it. You don't, I don't sit and watch you play your shot and decide what I'm going to do with mine. Like, you, I, There's no benefit for me to do that. So I think most people do exactly what you're talking about. I would counter, and again, I don't want to become the defender of Patrick Cantlay in this situation because he is slow, but I think there's a lot of slow players. And the argument that I made is this isn't a Ca- Patrick Cantley problem. This is a PGA no, he's Tour just, problem. He's just on TV a lot because he's really good at golf. He's one of the best players yes. in the world, and he's, and he's been in contention. So it's, it's becoming more uh, apparent to, to TV viewers just how methodical he is. Well, but and there's no motivation for him to speed up. Like, I don't know how many fast players I've spoken to. Probably, you know, years ago, Lucas Glover was probably the first one. That told me like he was one of the fastest, fastest players when he was in college. And that was literally stomped out of him within a year on the PGA tour, because you can't play fast. If, if you're surrounded by people who are playing at their own pace, which is the PGA tour pace, which is five hour plus rounds, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. If you're the only fast one in the group, because you're going to spend all day long, constantly waiting and no one wants to do that either. So in, in the weird extreme way that the PGA tour slows these people down. Now, Lucas Glover is a slow player and it's simply because everybody on the PGA tour is slow and without something dramatic, like they've done in baseball, I don't see that changing. Uh, and until the PGA tour routinely misses their six o'clock cutoff window for the broadcast. And they won't, I think it's, then I think it's, I mean, we've been talking about this, <laughs> this we, we talked about this before Liv came along. We will talk about this, obviously, after Liv comes along. This has been an issue uh, for as long as professional golf has been played. There are no answers yet. I do think, however, transparency with the timing system is one small step uh, that could actually go it would help. a long way. Okay, so Patrick Cantley did not win the tournament, uh, despite us talking about him for 11 minutes at the top of this podcast. The winner was Matt Fitzpatrick, his second PJ Tour title, first since last year's U.S. Open, obviously validation in some sense. Jordan Spieth once again had another great opportunity to win a tournament just as he has had great opportunities over the past two months or so. What was your big takeaway from Sunday at Harbortown and what I thought was actually one of the most uh, entertaining final round duels that we've seen uh, on the PJ Tour this season? It, it was, and I mean, this is kind of a two-part conversation because I, I was kind of taken by the idea that the designated events continue to work, right? I mean, we can sit here and, and Rory not being in the field is certainly going to be a conversation that we're going to have. But you ended up with these two players going head-to-head on what, by most accounts, is one of the most favored golf courses on the PGA Tour. And it kind of fit those two perfectly, where you have two shot makers, you have two players with creative short games, you have two guys that when they get hot with the putter – they can do something very, very special that I think it's kind of cool that it came down to these two. And specifically for Matt, I, I just, I'm still, and this goes back to last year's U.S. Open and sort of digging into the stats and seeing how he transformed himself in a way that I think you could, you could sit here and say, okay, Bryson tried to do it in a much different way. 
Whereas Matt didn't pack on 50 pounds and become this big gorilla. He decided that, okay, I need to change my game another way. I need to do it more effectively. I need to do, I need to be smarter about it. And I, I think what, what he's doing is sort of setting the standard because you and I both know so many players on the PGA tour that'll just kind of, again, throw their arms up in the air because, Oh, I don't hit it far enough. I'm never going to be able to compete out here. You can make an argument that Matt did not hit it far enough to be a consistent winner on the PGA tour. And he has transformed himself in this amazing way. And he's done it in a very sustainable way. And he's done it in a way that he avoids injury. I, I think it's an amazing sort of metamorphosis. He's such a refreshing player to watch. And he's probably never going to be like a fan favorite, but for those of us who cover him, talk to him, like I love picking his brain and he just gives zero F's in terms of like how he approaches the game. Like, okay, I need to get longer. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do speed training. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care kind of what some of the pratfalls are. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and work with my neuro uh, physicists and all these other uh, team members in order to to maximize his game, and now he's a top twenty-five driver on the PGA Tour for a guy who's what five foot eight, five foot nine, uh, in a very slight build. Uh, it's inc- it's incredibly impressive to see what he's done there. It doesn't matter if he's putting with the flag sticking. It doesn't matter if he's chipping cross-handed. Like he does everything a little bit differently, but it works for him, and he's incredibly comfortable in his own skin, which is why I think he's such a refreshing player to watch. Uh, this now moves him up to number eight in the world career best mark. Uh, for Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, once again, it would not surprise me at all uh, if he is a factor uh, in the remaining three major championships. He has a very well-rounded game coming off a top 10 uh, at Augusta National. Like You have to put him uh, on the short list of favorites for the tournaments like the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, the way he uh, can fly his golf ball, uh, shape shots. Like I think he's a lot of fun to watch, and he's a very well-rounded player. What was your take, Rex, on Jordan Spieth? Another great final round. Uh, just doesn't walk away with a W. This would have been, his, in my opinion, his most significant title since the Open Championship back in 2017, designated field, uh, playing some great golf right now. But uh, once again, unable to get it done, just like he couldn't get it done at Bay Hill. Uh, Valspar, um, Masters had a chance, I guess an outside chance, outside something chance. spectacular coming out on the second nine. What was your takeaway? Encouraging. I mean, you could break it down. You could say, though, this was an opportunity that he let slip to his fingers as we, you just went on for three minutes about. I mean, Matt Fitzpatrick is a really, really good player. He's a world-class player. He's in the top 10. He'll probably stay in the top 10 for the foreseeable future. In Jordan's case, and I, I don't know if he looks at it this way because he seems to be his own worst critic sometimes, it's I gave myself an opportunity. And if you kind of look what he did coming down the stretch on Sunday – there were probably some iron shots that he'd rather do over, but everything else I felt like he executed pretty well and you just got beat. And I don't know if you're a world-class player, how difficult that is to get over because you're, you're, you're going to try every single shot. You're going to try every single week, but in this particular case, you just got beat by a better player. I, I don't know that it's anything he did on Sunday at Harbortown leads me to worry about where he's going to be in the future. Were there, again, a couple, he didn't really give himself a birdie look over the last three or four holes is the one thing I noticed. But outside of that, I felt like he played solid enough to be confident going into the next few weeks on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I actually think this was probably his most complete tournament that he's had this season, 68 or better in all four rounds, pair of 66s on the weekend on what is a very tricky golf course. Like you actually, you absolutely have to strike your golf ball well and Jordan Spieth was doing that. You look at the the birdie opportunities that he gave himself 
uh, on the, the first two playoff holes. I mean, a, a great look that somehow finished behind the hole in the first playoff hole, and then another one straight up the gut uh, on 17 that just lacked a little bit of speed and dove right at the end. If I've, you know, with a little bit more speed, uh, probably both of those putts are dropping and it's an entirely different story. And he's the fourth player to defend his title at the RBC heritage. It, it was interesting that, that last year, you know, he, I think he was kind of gifted that one, right? Like he got the, he, he played great on Sunday. Um, he, he watched, it seemed like a half dozen players falter around him, got into the playoff with Patrick Cantlay, uh, and then won on the first playoff hole. This this year, I actually think he played better and didn't win, which is just kind of the nature of competitive golf. He didn't have the setbacks like you know, Bay Hill. He missed basically every putt inside 10 feet coming down the stretch. You think about the Valspar, uh, the water ball that he had on 16 uh, when he uh, was in command of that tournament. I think this was a very encouraging performance, especially considering he was playing uh, for the ninth time in 11 weeks. He thinks we'll tee it up again uh, in a couple weeks at Wells Fargo, then Colonial, and then the PGA Championship. Uh, he has not had many opportunities, Rex, to complete the career Grand Slam uh, ever since that became available to him uh, in summer 2017. Uh, but I think this is probably his best chance. I, I really like the way that his game is trending, uh, and I like where kind of where his head's at. Well, and I always count Harbortown as one of those bellwether, bellwether stops. For guys, because you have to drive the ball well, and even statistically, that was probably what he did worse. It's so difficult to find fairways at Harbor Town. There is like this is where shot length, tee to green is probably. I mean, shot length, strokes gained, tee to green is probably a better guide because you can miss a fairway by a yard, and it's probably a better angle at Harbor Town than it would if you were in the middle of the fairway. So I, I've kind of, I always kind of use this as okay, where is a player's game going into which which is going to be a really important run here. You got the PGA championship coming up. You got Memorial right around that for a player like Jordan Spieth. You have the Texas events. I, I think everything he's doing right now is you're right. This is probably going to be at least statistically his best chance to complete the career grand slam, which is pretty amazing when you consider that not that long ago we were talking about would he ever win another major. And now I would probably put him into the top five favorites heading into uh, the PGA next month. And you're not even going to be there for the final round. Jordan Spieth completes the career grand slam. Uh, I'll be there for half the final round. The latest flight out is noon, just to, just so we're clear on that. Uh, I have a graduation. The, the youngest son graduates from high school. So, yes, I will be leaving Rochester at noon on Sunday. We'll reconnect Sunday night. It'll be fine. That's fine. Oak Hill uh, is basically my fifth major. Uh, my dad lives about three miles from the golf course. Very much looking forward to going home uh, for that major. <laughs> it could be the, could be the last time, right? It could could be the last time that Oak Hill uh, hosts a major championship. Very much to be to be seen. I, I loved Rex the fact. And this is kind of a two pronged thing. I love the fact that Harbor Town, which to me is an interesting, tricky layout that really accentuates the best ball strikers. Like I love the fact that that was a designated tournament. This is the strongest field the Heritage has ever had. I'd like to see that moving forward. And I think the tour should prioritize unique venues like this. You know, Pebble, Colonial. Harbor Town, courses that have history, courses that ask different questions of players. Like, I love to see that prioritized with this designated event model moving forward. What I didn't love, and that we're going to get into now, was the fact that a designated event was played after a major championship. It put John Rahm in a very tricky position where he ultimately uh, decided to honor his commitment, just as Jordan Spieth had done in 2015, when he won the Masters, decided to play uh, in the RBC Heritage as well and look kudos to john rom like he said this is his job 
Uh, he thought about the kids in the area who want to see the Masters champion. I think he performed admirably. Tie for 15th, continuing his good play. He even hopped into the booth. Right? He even hopped into the booth Sunday after the final round. He to, was so good. What, he kicked it for like a half hour. Just talking I mean, about golf. Like, I'd love to see that moving forward. I, I would too, and I didn't expect it. Because, I mean, we, you and I have fun. Look, John Rahm, when he's properly motivated and in I think when he's relaxed, he's a very good interview. However, he can be quite edgy, as you and I have alluded to on this podcast numerous times. And yet, so I was a little bit worried about like this could this could go poorly really, really quick because you make one sort of offhanded comment. And I've seen it before where it kind of sets him off and and he's not in an enjoyable mood. But you put the big bear in the booth and he was fantastic, I thought. Like I it was like every second I kept waiting for it to go off the rails and he just got better and better. Like who, like who would you rather listen to, a, a tower announcer who's looking at the same monitor that a TV viewer is, or do you want to have John Rom, who literally just got off the golf course, yeah. knows these players intimately well and their styles of games, and the challenge that's going to be presented on the, on the back nine at Harbortown? Which one would you rather listen to? And the answer is obvious. It's John Rom. Now, this was, a, I think, an extenuating circumstance, right? Like he, he wasn't flying home immediately after the final round. He was flying home on Monday morning, so he did have some time to kill. I think it's going to be a tall ask to have – uh, the best players in the world hop into the booth on Sunday afternoon to break it down. But what's stopping them from doing this Thursday through Saturday? Like, I, I think it's, I think it'd be a home run if, if my God, Spieth went in there or Homa or Will Zalatoris, like these guys who are notoriously good golf talkers who love the game, who eat, breathe, sleep the game, like get those guys in the booth, breaking down the action. I think it'd be amazing. I think this is a better option, and, and we talked about this last week at the Masters, because as soon as they started doing the walk and talk with Rory, I think both you and I and everyone else in the free world had the same reaction. It was kind of cringy because I, I don't believe you know, that, that you can spook a pitcher who's got a perfect game going in the sixth, whatever it might be. In that particular case, though, I think, I think we all sort of watched Rory walking down the fairway and thought, if this comes apart right now, if, the, if his chances at winning this year's Masters and yet another chance has come and gone of winning the career Grand Slam, fair or not, everyone's going to point to that interview and be like, he should have done that. that that's, that's a distraction. That's something that he did not need in that particular situation. I think this, where you're right, you get these quote-unquote talkers who want to be in the booth, who like the microphone, who have sort of an insight that we don't get any other way. I'd much rather see this than a walk and talk during a round. Uh, I agree. It, it's the walk and talk has, I think, been really illuminating, and I'm glad that they're kind of pushing the envelope on the broadcast side. It still feels a little bit intrusive to me. Like you would never have an AirPod in a pitcher's ear in like the bottom of the seventh, right? Like, okay, like what are you what are you thinking here? Like, yeah. it's I don't know. It just feels a little bit intrusive, and I I kind of like athletes doing their thing and then asking them afterward like what it's like in that moment. It, it's still. It's still a little newish to me. It is. And intrusive is probably the best way to put it. I will say it seems situational that if you get, get the right situation and you get the right player. And I mean, my mind immediately goes back to Billy Horschel when he did it at the Honda Classic and he was playing awful. And I was thinking, they, there's no way he's going to agree to this. Like I Jimmy, just, Jimmy, I, Jimmy Walker, Jimmy Walker, literally just bogey bogey, probably blew himself out of the tournament on Saturday. Yeah. Still put the AirPod in the very next hole. I mean, tip of the cap to him. But that's just, it's just like a tough, it's a tough ask for the players. 
I and but I thought in in Billy's case at the Honda Classic, it was very enlightening. Like you you got sort of this refreshing idea from these players who are really really good at golf. That man, I'm just trying to get this to the house. Like we, it was something that you know, I'm pretty sure I can relate to. But yeah, I'm just man, I, I got nothing right now. I'm just trying to get it to the house. And they chicken to wire. Whatever it takes, like just I'm going to crawl to the house somehow. Just, just stick with me, please. Uh, I did like that. I did, of course. Max Homa doing it earlier this year was fantastic. Keith Mitchell doing it earlier this year was fantastic. But in those situations, where it, whether if it's on a Sunday and a guy's in contention, or in this particular case with Rory on a Thursday, and that just didn't seem to me situationally the right place to do that. Yeah, and like I don't, I don't want to come across as like anti-innovation. Like I, I like the fact that they are that the players first and foremost are agreeing to this. This has been something that the PGA Tour has obviously pushed. It's a great way to kind of make this more of an entertainment product. I just think you want, there's you want no more better, old man TV, don't you? Give me more old no, man TV. There's just there's just no better way to show the personalities of these guys and to kind of highlight just how intelligent they are and how savvy they are as professional golfers and athletes than to have them sit in the booth in a relaxed setting with a headset on and just call golf. Cool. It, doesn't, it doesn't need to be half hour, but 10, 15 minutes after they finish the round. And I, it's, it's, we've, we've seen it happen before where you know, a player will shoot 64 right at a major championship. They ask, to get, go to the, they ask to go to the booth, and it's always like a quick no. Like they don't want to get thrown out of their schedule. But I think now with, with, with the push from the tour – to be kind of more entertainers and in, in, in equally as much as they are sportsmen um, with the PIP bonuses and kind of expanding their profile. Like, I think it's really good exposure. And I hopefully, if the best player in the world, if the best player on the planet is agreeing to do this, uh, then why not for some of the other guys? I'm not sure how we got sidetracked I mean, on that, that, that tangent. But it was it, it went it went to go with the designated event model being right after a major championship. This was a problem that we could foresee months ago. Uh, kind of the, the stress and the strain of following up a major championship. It's going to happen again with the Travelers Championship, which is immediately following the U.S. Open. Roy McIlroy opted not to play in the RBC Heritage despite missing the cut at the Masters. He's the only player besides Will Zalatoris who is now out for the season after microdiscectomy. Uh, who has skipped two events, which comes with a 25% penalty for his PIP bonus. So of the $12 million uh, he made from finishing second 2022 PIP, he has now forfeited $3 million of that. I would caution in saying that uh, Commissioner Jay Monahan has complete and full discretion on the allocation of those funds. What do you think, Rex? Fair or foul Roy McIlroy skipping his second event and thus making himself uh, penalized? Uh, journalistically, I like the way you handled that with the discretion that the commissioner has. I will tell you that it was a $3 million hit that he took. So, I mean, there isn't, I mean, the commissioner could step in if he wanted to, that would be a really, really bad look. So everyone who's anyone is being told that, yes, he's being, and it's not being fine. They're very, very quick to point out that this isn't fine. They're just it's a bonus. It's, it's a just bonus. a bonus. So, I mean, but put it in perspective for Rory McIlroy, and maybe this doesn't apply to anyone else on the PGA tour for Rory. It was more acceptable to pay $3 million, essentially a fine, which it wasn't. But, I mean, $3 million I'm going to give away because I don't feel like going to Hilton Head and playing golf for the week. And, and I hate doing this because we just don't know. There was no, He didn't have to give a reason for the withdrawal. That, that's sort of the way the tour regulations work. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're withdrawing before the start of a tournament, you don't have to give a reason. He might have a very good reason. There might be an injury involved or 
some sort of family issue. We don't know, so I hate speculating like this. But on its surface, the idea that he's going to sort of turn his back on $3 million just because he wants to go home for a week, which I think we both assumed that some players would do that. I didn't assume someone would do it for $3 million. I thought we were talking about $500,000, maybe even a million dollars. But for $3 million, I'll go schlep around Hilton Head for the week. And in this particular case, Rory didn't think it was something that he had any interest in. And I guess my only concern going forward, and I do want to talk about the idea of these these events, and and we, we love how they're falling on the schedule. And, and I did love watching Harbortown getting this field, the best field. I don't, love, I don't love how they're falling on the schedule. I think there's been too many in the run-up to the Masters, and now I don't like the fact no, that there's two after they're not even after the majors. I, Again, this, this goes into whatever next year's schedule is going to look like. It's going to have to be vastly different, or you, we're going to end up having this conversation. And the problem is, is if $3 million wasn't enough to motivate Rory to play, next year when there aren't any mandatory minimums and all he's passing on is elevated points and money for, out of the purse, that's not going to do it either. So it, you're going to have a hard time if you're the tour looking the RBCs in the face and being like, well, we tried to get them all here, but three or four of them just didn't want to do it. I don't think that's going to float. Uh, I don't think that's going to float either. It certainly does open uh, a little bit of a gray area where if, if players are making the calculus, like, huh, if, if Roy finished second and his penalty is $3 million, let's say I finished 10th and my penalty is going to be $1.5 million. If I'm gas, if I don't want to go there, like, I think I'll go ahead and skip the event when it's when I can better prepare myself for future ones with a $3.6 million first place check. Like I already covered my quote unquote penalty uh, for skipping the event. Like sure. they're going to do that sort of calculus as the, as the person on this podcast who typically uh, uh, is, is rife with, with reckless speculation. Uh, I'm actually going to reserve judgment on Roy McIlroy's decision until we hear from him in two weeks time uh, for the Wells Fargo championship at Quell hollow. The fact that Rory was willing to accept a $3 million penalty, the fact that we're going to point to his master's performance uh, and the surprising miscut there, the fact that we know that he is going to get roasted by his peers for being one of the architects of this designated event model and then being the only player who, to this point, has been penalized for skipping two events. Like, that has to be... There has to be something that Rory McIlroy is dealing with that has not been made public for him to make that decision. Yeah. And so God, God forbid it's a family emergency. You know, you hope it's not an injury at this point in the season. Like we don't know. And so until we hear from him and, and maybe he doesn't have to justify it. Maybe he just, maybe shows up at Quill Hall and said like, nah, I was good. I can take the heat. Yeah. I'm a big boy. Like I've, I've been working really hard for this PJ for the PJ tour uh, to fight back against live. And I just didn't want to go there. Like maybe he's going to say that and that's fine. God forbid it's something uh, worse than that. And it's and it's personal, but for him to make that decision, um, I, I don't even, I, I just don't even want to speculate on, yeah, on what you. his on what his motives are uh, until we hear from him directly in two weeks' time. But I can get why the why there's a level of interest. Like journalistically, I think you and I are going to do the right thing in this particular situation, and we, you do have to wait because you, you just don't know the situation. I don't want it to be an injury. I don't want it to be something he's dealing with in, in his personal life. And you're right; it probably could end up being where he's just going to shrug and I just didn't feel like playing. And that's all well and good because, as you pointed out, and John Rahm's probably a really good example of this. I actually talked to a bunch of players last year in the Bahamas when they were trying to lay out their schedule. And I was amazed how many players, when I asked which designated event were they going to skip, because we knew they got one freebie back then. Most players told me Wells Fargo, including John Rahm. So in this particular case, 
John Rahm's already planning on skipping Wells Fargo, so he's probably has no interest in forfeiting however many millions of dollars he would have had to given up for the PIP. I will say this as far as the schedule goes, and there's going to be fewer designated events next year, not more. And I think for the obvious reasons that we're ending up with this fatigue where you do have players sort of not playing their best, trying to rethink their schedule and what we're going to end up with next season, whenever it comes out. And I'm, I'm, this is going to be the biggest reveal in my mind as a golf nerd of all time, because I don't know. And you and I have done this as an exercise, sat down and tried to pick the pieces together where you end up with this good flow as they want to call it. You have cadence two non-designated events and three full field events or vice versa whatever the case may be i've sat down and done this numerous times and man it's going to look dramatically different if they can pull this off which i think is fine like i there's obviously a rhythm to how the pj tour schedule is now where you know hawaii west coast swing florida swing and now it's kind of a mishmash before you go to texas and then the the summer is kind of a a hodgepodge as well which doesn't really matter because you it's mostly for guys uh, who are who are fighting for status? Like, I, I'm I'm okay with breaking up the rhythm. Like, this was great back in the day when you know it's in, it's in the 70s, rays on the PJ Tour. Guys aren't flying for the most part privately. Like, it's not that uh, big a deal. And so you'd want to have you know stops that were close together, right? Like, now guys just hop on air uh, on on net jets or you know they're. They've, they've got their own jet if you're Rory or Tiger or the, whatever the case may be. Like, it's not, a, it's not a big deal to have kind of this tweener event after the Masters. Like, maybe, like maybe Zurich, right? Maybe Zurich becomes the post-Masters break. So now you got a teammate. You can relax in New Orleans, and it's great. In the following week, then, it's Harbortown. You're still having the golf course how you'd want it uh, in terms of uh, kind of the, uh, the agronomy aspect. You would, you would get a big field because – it's a designated event. It just kind of breaks up the rhythm uh, and the cadence. So I do think the schedule is going to have to look different out of necessity. And I wouldn't get caught up as much with like the swings that you currently have. Like they don't all need to be clustered in Southern California or, or California in general uh, to make the schedule kind of um, uh, work for the top players. Well, and we, I think we did this exercise a couple of years ago where if you sat down and you just laid out the tour schedule and you wanted to go to every single one of the golf courses, for example, Pebble Beach being the prime example here, February is probably not the best time to go to. If you, if you want to catch Pebble at its absolute best, that February is probably not that best time. And you, you can go down the schedule and pick this apart piece by piece. If you were to do something like that, it would look vastly different. And I, I will point out that Two weeks before the Masters, you had the match play, which was a designated event, and for a handful Can't of players, you cannot have that Scottish, there. Well, and it's not on the schedule anymore, so it's not an issue. I, I'm just pointing out the logistics of this year. If you made it all the way to Sunday, you'd played a lot of golf. It was two weeks before the Masters. You obviously took San Antonio off the Masters, and then you had to turn right back around. There are going to be people who sort of roll their eyes at this idea that you know they, they play 162 baseball games. Like somehow they figure out how to show up day in and day out. It, it doesn't seem like it's a huge ask. I think what they've come up with for, okay, 18 essentially designated events, that's counting the majors, the playoffs, and everything else. That seems to be a good number. Now, the only thing you need to do with that number now is create that cadence, that flow that we talked about. Uh, I agree, and that's going to be the challenge. I can't wait to see. That is expected. The, the 2024 schedule is expected to drop sometime uh, this summer. As of the last report, it certainly will be interesting to see how they have all those all those moving pieces, how they work with the uh, 
designated events that are no longer mandatory? You know, are players going to still be enticed by $20, $25 million purses? Um, if, if it didn't work for Roy McIlroy, didn't work for Jason Day, didn't work for, I think Alex Norn was another player who skipped the RBC heritage. Uh, is that going to be a concern if it's no longer required? It's a concern if you're RBC, if you're one of these designated events. And I mean, you're mind, doubling, I... you're doubling essentially right. what the typical PGA tour purse is. That is a lot. And to not have a top player like Roy McIlroy or to not have, you know, John Rahm, as it relates to the Wells Fargo championship, he's defending next week in Mexico and then taking a little bit of time off before the PGA championship. Like that's a little bit of a concern and that's going to make for an even harder sell for the PGA well, tour. And keep in mind on a lot of levels, this year is kind of a proof of concept for the PGA tour because the elevated purses, which again, as you pointed out, are pretty much double. They're not being paid by let's say RBC last week. RBC didn't have to pony up that much more money to match that $20 million purse. The PGA tour picked up that gap the idea being that okay we're going to prove this this year and then next year everyone's going to have we're going to, to prove it with higher table. ratings the stars come yes. it's going to be more entertaining which i like i think you and i are both in agreement yeah. they have worked exceedingly well exceptionally well i think even like even beyond what was expected of them it's just it's very odd that they would do away with that mandatory requirement like knowing how much of an additional burden that's going to be placed on the rbc's or the Wells Fargo's of the world to not make sure to not guarantee that the best players are going to be there. A little bit strange. It, it is. And this is in the fabric, sort of the DNA of, of a professional player. Cause that's the one thing that of everything that's changed over the last year in professional golf. That's the one thing that I, I can go to any player, be they middle of the pack, be they 125 on the points list or be they Roy McElroy. And they will tell you, they don't like being told where they have to play. That's that's the one sort of stopgap that, okay, I'll agree to playing 20 events, but I get to choose which 20 it is. And, of course, it's going to be the majors and the playoffs and whatever the case may be. They they hate the idea of, okay, these 18 events you have to play, and then whatever on top of that, you can go ahead and add it. I think John Rahm gave voice to this last year at Eastlake when he was kind of told, okay, of the 20 events you can't miss, how are you going to work those into your schedule? And you and I both, I think, were standing there. He was probably the most – wait, what? I have to play 20 events? Like that didn't, it, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for my schedule. I'm a European. Next year's a Ryder Cup year. I'm going to have to figure out how to piece this all together. That's why it didn't work. You're right. It's going to be very, very dangerous for the PGA Tour because you're going to end up with a situation where RBC has paid a lot of money and you're missing two, three, four, or five of the top players. And it, it's going to be a hard sell going forward if that's going to do, be the reality. Speaking of schedules, how about personally, Rex? A, why are you not covering the Zurich Classic like you usually do? And B, what are you looking forward to this week in NOLA? Uh, well, I am looking forward to the team concept because I do think it's become one of those really cool stops on the PGA Tour. Like, And I go back to the, the column that I got ratioed for when I came out of the match play that I still believe that everybody... Not the first gonna, time, won't be the last time. Won't be the last. Uh, I do still believe that everyone who did all the per, per, uh, pearl clutching when the match play went away, like you guys weren't paying attention. This, is, this has been a bad tournament at bad venues with bad formats for a very, very long time. This one though, in new Orleans, I think they've kind of reached a good tipping point that you're right. You can kind of show up in new Orleans. You can enjoy yourself. You got a partner. I, I certainly saw it last year that I, it seems like the one person that didn't enjoy himself last year was Patrick Cantlay, not to pick on him, but uh, it, it was fun to watch him and Xander <laughs> pair together and do those <laughs> interviews together. <laughs> I've never, I've never actually poked fun of a player during an interview because that, that, that would be unprofessional. 
in my yes. mind, but I, I, I could not help myself. I think it must have been like whatever day it was, Saturday last year. And, and I had spoken with them all since Wednesday going forward. And they, you know, they, Pat and, and Xander come up together and I, I make a mention. I think they had just shot 61 or some nonsense, whatever no, unbelievable number they had put down. And I'm kind of trying to set the question up that, man, that looks like a lot of fun. Well, Xander, it looks like you're having fun, Pat. I can't tell. And then I just kind of let Xander laugh because it was the only way to sort of break the mood because Pat didn't laugh. He didn't acknowledge me one way or the other. But I, I think it's it, it's a good event. I wish I was there. I, I don't know why I'm not there this year. It's just scheduling. Uh, you hate to see it. Uh, yes. As you mentioned, Xander Shoffle and Patrick Kentley are defending. Have some other good teams. Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, um, Sam Burns, Billy Horschel. Uh, Keith Mitchell, Sung J M, uh, Tom Kim, Siwoo Kim. Uh, stay tuned for a Tom Kim TV feature uh, currently in the works right now for live from the PGA Championship. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it's it's it breaks up right the monotony of 72 hole stroke play events, which dominate the PGA Tour schedule. Um, I would move it around. I would have it as the uh, post Masters debrief, uh, but we'll have to stay tuned to see whether that's actually the case in 2024. Rex here at home. Uh, with the New Orleans theme, uh, for my birthday, I got a seafood boiler slash turkey fryer uh, from Locos oh, wow. Cookers. And yes, we are going to attempt to do a crawfish boil on Sunday uh, in honor of the final round of the Zurich Classic. Never done one before. Obviously, uh, have eaten uh, hundreds of pounds of crawfish in my life, but have never done it uh, myself. Do you have any experience? Uh, and that, yeah. and, and if so, what, what advice would you give me? Oh, I mean, it's not tricky. It's not difficult. It's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, you just, again, it's just a huge pot that you, you start the boil in and, and I mean, the, the only trick is how hot you want it or not hot. Do you want it? So that's going to be, you of, also, in terms of spiciness. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but you also, you have, kind of have the cheat code. I realized when we did the barbecue during the players championship that, that you have a neighbor that's a professional cook. Uh, my friend Ricky has never done a crawfish boil. Uh, he and I will be plumbing the depths of YouTube uh, to make sure that we are well prepared. It does seem like the trickiness uh, is just getting all of the ingredients. Like you need the boil, you need the seasoning, you have to have it at the right temperature, as you mentioned. And then uh, it just well, seems fine. like it's it just seems like it's scheduled. Like you throw in you yeah. throw in the uh, the potatoes, you throw in the other veg, uh, you throw in the corn. You throw in the shrimp, you throw in the, the crawfish, which obviously don't take too long. Uh, my wife and I are a little bit of wusses when it comes to heat. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I think places make is throwing a seasoning on the outer shell. And so your fingers are burning. And then when you bite in, like your lips should not be on fire when you're enjoying crawfish. All of that flavor should be packed inside of the shell uh, and kind of imbued in the crawfish. So we will not be making that mistake. Uh, we just don't want it to be flavorless as well because crawfish on their own are not all that delicious if they don't have a little medication spice yeah they need some kick to them i, I will say this in a perfect world too the crawfish need to be alive like i've done oh, it yeah. both ways. yeah i've done it both ways and it, it, it's the crawfish being alive is that that's the difference oh yeah yeah you got to clean them they are called bud bugs uh for a reason make sure <laughs> make sure they're properly cleaned clean them give them a, they can be gross. a little bath and then throw them in there we're also going to do some char grilled oysters which i know you and i uh both love uh, in honor of the final round of the Zurich Classic. Stay tuned for next week's Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Laugh. Hopefully a full recap. Uh, hopefully I do not get sidetracked. And hopefully I actually, like John Rahm, uh, honor my commitment uh, to doing 
a seafood boil on Sunday. What do you have planned on the grill this weekend, Rex? I uh, we did on the pit barrel. I did uh, some three ribeyes the other day, and they were so good. And I'm going to do it again. I know, a I know. Pit I didn't, you hang them? I did, did you hang them? No, 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 no. There's a grate. You can, you can take the hanging bars out, and there's just like a flat grate. That's how I do chicken wings in the pit barrel. Which next time I, I was thinking about this, it's so easy for me to it, like it's small. I, I'm bringing it to Augusta next year, so we can instead of burning down the rental house next year, we're going to use the pit barrel. That that seems like a better option. We did not uh, burn down the rental house. It was just a little bit of a tried smoke emergency. It was a bit of a smoke well, emergency. We certainly, apologize certainly for any would smoke not try damage. it. Had had it just been proper weather conditions outside. Could use the Kamado Joe. who's sitting there all all ready for us. Uh, but I do have to say, there's a buddy of mine. Uh, he he's a professional. He has a junior program in Hawaii. His name is David Havens, and he's gotten into the the like the coffee rub business. Like he's got a bunch of different like Ooh. coffee rubs for me. Oh, he sent me like three of them, dude. Hits all of them. Hits so good. So I'm gonna do that again because it was so good. Ooh, that does sound good. The only thing you got to worry about the coffee rub is potentially scorching them if you get the uh, too much of the direct heat. Um, that is a little bit of an issue with some of the sugar in there. You'll have to send me some of those snappy chats because uh, that does sound utterly delicious. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. We'll be back next week with a full recap of Azura Classic, recap of what's on the grill as well, and what other other happenings occur in the world of golf over the next week. Hope you guys have a good week. We'll talk to you then. Les bon les rollets.